digital innovations play an important role in enabling the shift towards a seamless, automated, connected and personalised travel on demand. With digital solutions, people and goods can move more efficiently and safely without the need for new infrastructure. With Deloitte's 2021 Global Automotive Consumer Study revealing changing mobility patterns due to the COVID-19 pandemic and acceptance of new technologies by consumers, Today, we discuss the role of digital solutions and innovations in enabling a safer, sustainable and inclusive mobility for all. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of our Future of Mobility series bringing you the top voices from the sector, decision-makers, innovators, and shapers, pushing the envelope on future ideas for transportation and beyond. I'm your host, Surya, and today we are joined by Christine Wang, Managing Director for Lufthansa Innovation Hub, and Grace Ho, President for SWAT Mobility. Christine and Grace, thank you for joining us today. Now, Christine, let's start off with you. Lufthansa Innovation Hub focuses on creating new digital businesses for Lufthansa Group, by being a connector between startups in the travel and mobility tech. And the Innovation Hub has a vision to simplify every single trip in the world with digital solutions and capture value beyond flying to the entire travel chain. What is the motivation behind this and how does Lufthansa Innovation Hub work towards this vision? Hi, Surya. Thank you so much for your question. Our vision is actually to ownership in every trip. And where we're coming from is really from the aviation sector. And over the last couple of years, we realized that the trips that we do today as a passenger, as a traveler, are not as straightforward again or anymore. Meaning we don't just go from A to B, just take a plane and go to another place. But it's actually much more interconnected, much more seamless. At every point in the customer journey, we would interact with different kinds of applications, different kinds of services. And so because of that, I think it is really important. And, and that's the motivation why we exist to actually create value beyond flying, to connect with the broader ecosystem around travel and mobility and really provide this experience that is more connected, more seamless and goes beyond borders. Thank you for sharing the motivation behind the hub, Christine. Now, moving on to you, Grace. SWAT Mobility is a Singapore mobility tech startup which aims to improve the way people commute, ease congestion, and improve their quality of life by providing demand-responsive and ride-sharing smart mobility solutions. So could you share with us the motivation behind starting SWAT Mobility back in 2015? And... How do the smart mobility solutions enable this mission of improving the quality of life? Thank you, Surya. Thank you for having me today. And what a great uh, question to start off with. So the story of SWAT Mobility really began in the late 2015, when our co-founders Arthur Chuar and Gerald Ong got together to really look at solving the challenges in urban mobility. I think with urbanization and growth, cities provide tremendous opportunities for economic growth. But at the same time, it presented immense challenges, especially in infrastructure and transportation development. 
So our founders believe that in order to achieve urban productivity, one of the essential services that cities really must provide is an efficient transportation system. And our founders also had a shared vision that the future of transport is one where autonomous vehicles will play a very big role. And central to this is a central command system to actually manage and direct this uh, autonomous vehicle. Hence, uh, SWAT Mobility was founded. And while many large vehicle manufacturers focus on figuring out how vehicles should move, SWAT Mobility actually focuses on where the vehicle should move to. And this is made possible through our very own dynamic high capacity routing algorithm. And, you know, the, the mission that we have is really to impact and improve people's lives. And we believe that technology is a very powerful enabler. And when you couple specific technology, such as optimization algorithm with transportation services, you get smart mobility solutions. And some examples are on-demand bus services, high capacity pulling of passengers from multiple locations into single vehicle, and also finding the best, most optimal travel time and distance route for people. So while Swap Mobility's customers are government and companies, we really put our customers at the heart of everything we do. And we look at impacting their lives in three ways. The first is really empowering the commuters. Uh, with our solutions, commuters can actually plan, book, and even pay for their journey in a very contactless way, which is really important now in today's uh, pandemic situation. And with our on-demand services, it also improves commute experience because passengers only call for the service when they actually need it without having to stand out, you know, in the heat or in the rain in Singapore, for example. I think the second area is really safety. And this is really, really important now in current pandemic conditions. So with technology, we can factor in required social distancing measures as we plan our corporate transport for employees. We provide good reporting. So that's also a good audit trail. And we know, you know who boarded a bus, when and with whom. All very important for contact tracing. And then, of course, with business reopening and pausing, the technology also allows us to battle handle things like split teams and shift workers um, for employees. And then finally, because we are technology-led solution, uh, we're also able to track and report carbon emissions. And this is really important in today's world where many of us are very environmentally conscious and people actually care about the sustainability agenda. And so we want to do as much as we can to also reduce carbon footprint and pollution. And our technology actually allows people to do that. Thank you so much for that, Grace. For Lufthansa Innovation Hub and for SWOT Mobility, it is quite clear that the core of the vision is very much in providing consumers with a seamless, safe, efficient and also sustainable transportation experience. And now let's talk a bit more about the market trends. Grace, in the span of less than five years, SWOT Mobility has completed over 1 million annual trips and has operations in seven Asian countries, including Indonesia, Japan, Philippines, Thailand and Vietnam. So what are the unique conditions in Asia that has enabled SWAT to expand to these markets? Thank you for the question, Surya. Actually, SWAT Mobility is now pushing beyond 2 million rides already, gaining a lot of traction across Asia. And let me start with Japan. Japan, as we know, has a huge aging population, and they are also a very big country. So in addition, culturally, you know, the Japanese aging population is also very fiercely independent, and people want to be mobile and get out and about to do things. So our on-demand uh, transport solutions is actually a really great fit for a market like Japan because it provides accessibility and very affordable transport options to the elderly population, especially in the rural areas of Japan. 
And let's take a look at Southeast Asia. Let's take Philippines, for example, another big country, but with, with huge traffic congestion coupled with, you know, maybe inadequate transport uh, infrastructure. And this created a very pressing need for companies uh, who needed to get their employees to work. And as we all know, Philippines is a huge uh, BPO sector as well. So our employee transport solutions really allows a transport pooling of employees so that the most number of people can actually get on the same vehicle. And through our technology, the optimized and best commute route brings them all uh, to work uh, daily safely. So with the pandemic as well, we're seeing companies really needing to get their employees to work safely and punctually. So again, you know, this is propelling our uh, transport solutions with the um, B2B sector in the Philippines. And then closer in Southeast Asia, Thailand and Vietnam, uh, these are all large manufacturing hubs. And they also have large industrial estates footprint which also means that there's large group of employees and workers who actually need to be on site daily. So again, you know, against this contact and conditions, our technology-led solution provides a very efficient, very predictable and very safe employee transport solutions to really help the workers get to work on time so that businesses in sectors, you know, like the manufacturing hubs in Thailand and Vietnam can actually continue to operate as well. Thank you, Grace. It's evident that in each of these markets that SWAT is entering, there is a clear value proposition and benefit to whoever the users you're targeting in these countries. And congratulations for completing beyond 2 million annual trips as well. Now, Christine, when we look at Lufthansa Innovation Hub, it was set up in Berlin in 2014 and expanded to Asia in 2019 by setting up operations in Singapore. So as you have mentioned before, around 75 billion US dollars of VC money has gone into travel and mobility tech in Asia between 2010 and 2019. And that's roughly 30% bigger than US and Europe VC funds combined. In your view, what are the unique conditions in Asia that are fueling this innovation and growth? I honestly think that Asia has a very, very open community. So in terms of digital behaviors, we see that people are very open to try out new things. I also think, and this is really my personal opinion, I think that people have grown up in a very digitized and mobile first world, much more so than maybe the Western world. Meaning there is a leapfrog from desktop uh, computers to actually mobile phones and actually jumping over laptops. So what we actually see is that a lot of digital apps, et cetera, are getting adopted much more quicker than perhaps in the Western world. So I think from that angle, from a user adoption perspective, it is much more open to innovation and growth. But at the same time, I also believe that, and, and obviously we cannot talk about Asia from like a continental point of view, but in general, I would say that there's much more of an opportunistic and entrepreneurial mindset whereby when there's a new opportunity arising, then entrepreneurs will just like seize for it. So for example, I think just, just an anecdote from China, but I think when the pandemic started, there were some entrepreneurs or some people actually hoarding masks and then reselling them. If we look at that, of course, that's actually also very entrepreneur in its gist. So I think that's the second thing. So entrepreneurs in Asia tend to be very opportunistic, very fast-paced and very hungry. And then last but not least, I also think that some of the regulations in Southeast Asia especially are a little bit less rigid and strict that we may see in the European markets. 
It's good to hear the multiple perspectives from Grace highlighting the specific pain points in each of the markets which make digital solutions work and Christine highlighting the fundamental drivers behind the adoption of these digital solutions in this part of the world. Let's talk a bit more about the implementation of these solutions. Grace, Squat started off with building a root optimizing algorithm and now it provides B2B and B2G services for employee transport, public transport and logistics and delivery solutions. How has the business model you have adopted contributed to the success of SWAT Mobility's digital solutions? SWAT Mobility is a technology company providing solutions to companies and government. And so we have software as well as services such as data simulation services, transport planning and consulting services. So our business model is really to collaborate with a variety of partners, such as vehicle operators, technology partners, service providers. And what we do is infuse our technology and services so that we can offer a more complete solution to our customers. And because we are, our approach is asset light and we're software as a service or SaaS based, we really augment our solution through our services and also look towards scaling through our partners. And this has enabled us to do, you know, three things. The first is really adopt a data-driven approach so that we can continue to focus on improving our core technology and algorithm. And this is particularly important because uh, the environment changes very quickly. And therefore, if we're able to take a data-driven approach and adopt with speed and agility, it gives us really faster time to market in order to release more product extensions to provide for the demand-responsive needs of our customers. The second is because we're a SaaS model, that has also enabled us to expand our wallet share with customers and also secure future energy revenue stream, which is very important for a small startup like ourselves. And then finally, because of our services capabilities, our strong domain knowledge, you know, as we deploy different transport solutions, this has also facilitated us to seed into new opportunities with our services and penetrate into new segments, particularly in now areas like sustainability and green transport, where customers are also looking towards um, technology data-driven solutions to improve carbon emissions and driving towards more net zero carbon uh, goals. So that's kind of how, you know, we have seen our business model really helped us uh, shape ourselves, be really agile. And and then we are now scaling as quickly as we can uh, and take our digital solutions to market across hopefully many more countries. Glad you mentioned sustainability and green innovations as well. We'll revisit that topic in a few minutes. And now to you, Christine. Digital solutions are central to Lufthansa Innovation Hub's approach of driving value to customers across the entire value chain. So what do you think are the key success factors and implementing a good digital solution in the market? Perhaps you could share an example of a portfolio of solutions and which factors were crucial for its success? So at Lufthansa Innovation Hub, we build platforms for the ecosystem. I think that's been sort of like our positioning and also to distinguish our kind of work from some of the digital work done at the Lufthansa Group level. Now, when we think about key success factors when it comes to digital solutions. I want to talk about three key success factors. The first is obviously to have the support of the group. So when we build digital solutions, they're all market driven, right? So we're building something that helps customers, travelers, passengers within the broader ecosystem. So for example, we just launched a startup called Rides, which is a mobility platform and it aggregates different mobility types and forms onto one platform, meaning, you know, your bus ride, your metro ride, your uh, car sharing, ride sharing, scooter sharing, 
those kind of services are all found on this platform. And it's a solution that is actually not geared towards the end consumers, but actually uh, towards companies. And so companies can sign up for this program and offering their employees this kind of mobility service. So here the idea is really to aggregate and to provide one platform for all different kinds of mobility forms. Now, of course, we have the support of the group. So they obviously approve this kind of service. They think it's a good thing that helps their passengers get to the airports much more quicker and much more efficient. I think a second success factor is to have a very market-friendly cap table. So oftentimes what happens in innovation labs and hubs of bigger companies is that the majority of share and the majority of control is still within the bigger corporate and not with the venture builders or the entrepreneurs. And that obviously is really difficult because if you think about scaling such a business, you do need quite a lot of funding and either the big company decides to fund this through until an IPO and a potential IPO or exit, or it obviously has to have a very market-friendly cap table whereby other outside investors can eventually also invest into that company. So, of course, with rights, for example, it's been structured in a way that actually allows for outside funding. And I think that's also one of the most important success factors for a digital solution, or in this case, even a new venture or business can survive. And then last but not least, I think the, the third element or the third key success factor is to hire the right people or having the right hungry entrepreneurs within that company, because Oftentimes what also happens is like you have corporate people join this company, this newly established startup, and they typically come in with a very corporate kind of culture. And it's a sort of like a nine to five kind of day job. But obviously, as we all know, as an entrepreneur, you have to have this like grit, you have to be hungry, you have to really be hardworking. And so for me, that's really the the third key success factor for a digital solution to actually succeed in the market. A key theme that I'm picking up from the both of your responses is that of collaboration. So not only collaborating within the team, but also with stakeholders, with the customer, your end user, and also within the broader ecosystem. So now let's dig a bit deeper into what Grace mentioned earlier on the topic of sustainability. With the recent Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, Working Group 1 report, and increasing stakeholder interests and pressure for green transformation, sustainability is now becoming a key priority for the industry. Christine, you have also previously mentioned that sustainability will be a key differentiator for mobility in the future. With the push for electric vehicles and more sustainable fuels, how do you think digitalization can enable the ecosystem to move towards sustainable travel and mobility? Well, to be honest, I think there are quite a lot of different programs and projects running on the hardware side to really improve the infrastructure and to make, for example, cars or planes or other kinds of assets more sustainable in terms of, you know, the CO2 emissions. Now, I, I think what the challenge is, not only in the aviation industry, but overall in the transportation sector, is those kind of innovation and R&D actually take quite a bit of time. 
So what we see is that there might be actually a gap whereby we can only really contribute to nature by offsetting, for example, by compensation. In the aviation industry, we have something called sustainable aviation fuel, which is essentially recycled cooking oil, if you want, that actually gets processed again and then gets fueled. And so that fuel obviously tends to be CO2 neutral. So those are little, let's say, quick wins we can focus on in the short term while we're still running the R&D to make the infrastructure overall more CO2 friendly or CO2 emission reduced. So in that regard, I think digital sustainability is really where we see we can improve on processes, making them more efficient or showing the CO2 emission that a company or a, an asset actually produces. And that actually helps to educate and make people much more aware of the issue. It's sort of like the, the quantified self-movement we've seen in 2010, where everyone started to have these step trackers, right? And I think for a lot of us, we realized, oh man, we should actually walk another around, around the block uh, again, because we're not getting enough steps. And so for me, Digitization within the sustainability realm is similar, where digitization can actually help to make it known how much emissions we actually produce and actually also reach for a call to action to people and companies alike. And I want to just give an example. So, for example, we on the aviation side have actually built a platform called Compensate, where you know travelers can offset their carbon emissions on different trips they do with the plane. We are also launching a platform called Squake, and this is really the market solution for the entire transportation sector, whereby we actually offer an offsetting solution for other transportation players, for example, logistics players that want to offset certain routes or want to actually provide a green service to their end consumers and end customers. So for example, a logistic company using Squake could offer a green product to their freight forwarders. And, and this is really where I think digital sustainability can make a difference, even though, and despite the fact that we're still working and running on the old infrastructure. That's interesting. And I think also important that you mentioned to take the short-term and long-term view on sustainability and how digital solutions can really enable us to start quantifying and creating changes more immediately while we push the boundaries on the more long-term solutions. Thank you for providing the example on Squeak and Compensate as well. Now, Grace, SWOT currently enables businesses to quantify and understand their ESG objectives through lowering the transportation carbon footprint. As you have mentioned earlier, so how does SWOT enable this transition and are there any plans to scale the efforts in this area? The green transportation and sustainability space is a very new one across Asia. And so there are really three areas that uh, SWOT is focusing on. The, the first is around the offerings. In addition to our products, we are also developing a variety of tools and dashboards to really help our customers understand how to measure the carbon emissions. But more importantly, it's also baseline their existing carbon footprint. And the intention is then over time, we can use their baseline data to actually help them map the transition plan. So the first part is really having the tools and dashboard uh, to help uh, with uh, providing a data-driven approach for our customers. 
The second one is really educating our customers. Uh, as I mentioned, it's a very new space. So, you know, constant educating and creating awareness in all our pitch, website, our blogs to help our existing customers and our new customers understand how to decipher what CO2 emission footprint actually means and how to calculate that becomes really important. So we are constantly educating our customers and raising their level of awareness so that uh, it becomes top of mind as they plan their ESG agenda. And then in order to scale this effort, we really see that the partner ecosystem is a very critical one for us. And we partner with both the customers because we really work with them to baseline their existing footprint and then map out transitions. So that's one partnership. The second partnership is really with new asset partners, partners who are now looking at autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles. So these new partner types provide huge opportunities for us to infuse our ability to calculate CO2 emissions coupled with their electric vehicles offering. And this will then help us present new offerings as the customers try to progress and transition in reducing their carbon footprint. So in a nutshell, these are some of the ways that we are enabling transition and to partnerships we're going to scale, hopefully, and beyond the Singapore shores as well. Thank you for that, Grace. Something common from both your anecdotes is the fact that we are using digitalization as an approach to understand the baseline sustainability issues and then to communicate it to the larger ecosystem. When it comes to sustainability, it looks like the importance of people, partnerships and products stand out in both your examples. And on that vein, let's talk a bit more about the culture of innovation within your teams. So Grace, as the software startup which raised over 12 million US dollars to date, how is the culture at SWAT Mobility optimized for innovation and continuous growth? Thank you, Surya. At SWAT Mobility, we have a very strong spirit to experiment and try new things, right? As all startups would have. But I think what we also have are very highly collaborative teams. So when you have a strong spirit to experiment, try new things and a very collaborative teams, I think the three areas which actually serve us really well for innovation for growth are as follows. Number one, uh, we're really open to very unconventional ways of running our business. For example, we extensively leverage interns, not just to balance our workload, but also to tap on them for creative new ideas. At the same time, these uh, group of interns are also great uh, pipeline of talent for us uh, to convert into full-time staff, right, as we grow and expand across the region. The second one is really our people actually have a fair amount of autonomy and a lot of passion. They're always constantly looking for new online tools, platforms in order to do their work uh, better. And what's really powerful is also their generous appetite to share what they have learned and discovered. And I find that this really helps us continuously develop our people literally on the fly. You know, no fixed training program, but everyone contributes and it's very spontaneous. And then finally, I think our agile way of work is one that is very commendable because our teams really take initiative to form uh, teams and squads, especially when we are exploring new ventures or when we're trying to fix new problems. So some examples are last year during the pandemic year, we quickly formed a squad to look at the new logistics sector and where the new use cases and application of our technology was possible. In addition to that, we also formed uh, a sustainability squad because we realized that we are very relevant in that space and we needed to create what our voice and our position is. So we form a sustainability squad um, and it, that's active right to now as we drive our new tools, new dashboard and also new baselining approaches and engaging new customers. So I would say these are some of their very innovative ways uh, that I'm very proud to share that, you know, we are leveraging it continuously for even more innovation and for our growth. That was wonderful to get an insight into 
the innovation culture at SWOT Mobility. And Christine, as an organization constantly identifying opportunities and testing new solutions as well, how is the culture at Lufthansa Innovation Hub optimized for innovation and collaboration? So at Lufthansa Innovation Hub, we adhere to four values when it comes to our culture. The first is ownership. So even down to the last intern, they immediately get quite a lot of responsibility, for example, being responsible for the sales funnel of a certain venture that we've built. So we don't discriminate people by their hierarchy. Actually, we are a very, I would say, very flat hierarchy. And and so ownership is something that everyone very seriously embraces and drive things themselves is something that um, everyone adheres to. I think the second thing is we always attempt to have impact. So what I mean by that is not to do something for cosmetics or for marketing, but really we feel most proud and most successful when we build things that actually are adopted by the market. And having that kind of impact is also something very important to us. So collaborating across the different business streams that we have at the hub, collaborating with different kinds of people from transformational people to designers to uh, venture builders and collaborating together. And then last but not least, also focusing on individual growth. And really, I think my biggest mission as the managing director is to provide people a platform for development or a platform of opportunities that they can leverage and really grow. And that's really the four elements that we live by day by day. I think what you mentioned about ownership purpose, learning, and collaboration on top of uh, individual growth is really meaningful. And thank you both for leading wonderful innovation cultures in your companies. Now let's talk a bit more about the topic that Grace has mentioned earlier, which is the pandemic. Grace, SWOT has mentioned earlier in 2020 that the pandemic challenges actually helped to accelerate SWOT's growth path. How do you see the road to recovery from the pandemic unfolding in the mobility sector And do you think that the increased importance of transport providers we are seeing will still continue post-pandemic? I think the pandemic has definitely recalibrated and established what we call new normals. And as we see across Asia, as businesses reopen, we are seeing companies take a very much more focused approach in helping employees safely return to the workplace because business must continue to operate. Therefore, I think safety is paramount and top of mind for a lot of our target customers, especially looking at providing employee transportation for their employees to get back to work safely. And we think that safety is now a new table stake for all technology-led mobility solutions. And SWAT Mobility being a technology company, I think we are very well positioned to help the customers quickly get their act together so that they can mobilize their employees back to the workplace. And by the same token, then our partners, which are the transport providers, I think they now have a new role to play. And that role is ensuring that a safe ride is always a must for all employees. Services like sanitization of vehicles, uh, providing maybe even contactless payment, being able to do contact tracing, definitely uh, handling safe distancing measure and capacity restrictions within their vehicles are all now essential. So that's one change that we see in transport providers. The other trend we're seeing is that there is a renewed interest in on-demand transport services, particularly by public sector uh, transport providers. 
And this means that uh, you know these public sector transport providers need to look at catering to new consumer expectations, especially around safe distancing and preventing overcrowding uh, on public transport. So again, Swap Mobility already has an on-demand uh, transport offering. So we see ourselves well positioned as well to work with uh, public sector transport providers in this area. The third area is really uh, smart cities. We see that the pandemic has actually accelerated several of the country's uh, smart city plans. And therefore, we are super excited because we're really now expecting uh, accelerated deployments of autonomous vehicles. And this will all help drive higher transport efficiency across the cities. And therefore, our technology plays uh, really square and center in helping these autonomous vehicles better figure out the, the where to move. Hence, you know, transport providers will also then need to really rethink their business and partnership models and hopefully embrace more technology providers like ourselves. Back to you, Surya. Thank you, Grace. And Christine, COVID-19 has posed a huge roadblock to air travel and greatly influenced consumer sentiment towards everyday travel as well. According to Deloitte's Southeast Asia Automotive Consumer Study in 2021, the proportion of consumers preferring to commute by personal vehicles has increased from 37% to 52% after the outbreak of the pandemic. So how do you see the road to recovery from the pandemic unfolding? in both the travel and mobility sectors? Surya, so, yeah, this is the $1 trillion question, I would say. <laughs> if we knew when things would come back. I think Asia was very much ahead of the curve when it came to COVID and cases, but then also kind of like, you know, being secure or holding COVID at bay. I think when we now look at the numbers and we look at uh, the different regions, I do think that there is a tale of three different regions here, right? So we have Europe, we have US and we have Asia. And it's quite telling to see the flight numbers. Also, we are tracking the Google mobility data, so really how people are moving around in certain areas and regions. And we do see that EU and the US are currently much faster in recovery than Asia. And obviously, it's a very interesting question. Why is it that the way it is, especially given that Asia was so much ahead of the curve? And I do think that it has to do with a couple of different factors, such as obviously vaccination. Although in certain Asian countries, we do see high rates of vaccination. I also do think that the politics behind travel restrictions are one of the key factors for why people travel or not travel. And what I worry about is that we are becoming much more regionalized. And it, it is worrisome because obviously I think travel is really about connecting people and connecting the world together. And so right now we're seeing a bit of a trend that's going away from that. Actually, if I think about your question, I think about a book that I found very interesting to mention here, which is the, the book is called Prisoners of Geography. And it's a book that actually talks about how different wars are being won or lost given the geographical conditions of certain regions. And I, I get to this book because the whole pandemic actually reminds me of it, that it's very much not really based on the virus itself, but really the politics behind it that drives whether or not we are much faster in recovery of, of COVID. For example, what I mean by that is if I look or I'm based currently in Berlin and I look at Europe and Europe is doing quite a good job in recovering and getting back on travel and mobility. But that's also because um, you have the European Union. And so people can actually freely move from A to B within the EU relatively easy. And I do think that in Asia, 
you, you don't have that kind of union. So obviously every country has their own regimen on travel restrictions, on quarantine, which actually deter travelers to travel. So my point being, and back to your question, I think A, the recovery of travel and mobility needs to be looked at from different regions. And B, I think what's the most important factor is actually how politics, how travel restrictions and policies are being lifted. Thank you for that insight, Christine. And let's look a bit more ahead beyond the road to recovery to the year 2015. Christine, what do you think the travel and mobility ecosystem would look like in the year 2015? And that's a fun question. Honestly, my bet would be that it would become much more around experience. And I, I do think that we are already on this train towards uh, towards that kind of future. And maybe we'll see a virtualized form of traveling whereby some of the VR technologies are becoming much more sophisticated and you can actually travel from the comfort of your sofa. I think the second one is certainly, I'd be really hopeful to see some of these air taxis or urban um, air mobility vehicles flying around. I think that would be really cool. That definitely sounds cool and perhaps not too far from happening itself. How about you, Grace? What do you think the mobility ecosystem would look like in the year 2050? Thank you, sir. I really love Christine's answer. <laughs> I, th- I do think experience is, is going to be paramount. I do think that four key things uh, will be uh, important for you know the, the consumers. I think um, consumers will want better experience. They definitely are prepared to pay for convenience. But yet there are also countries where still need to have transportation and mobility services that are affordable and accessible. So I think against this backdrop of new consumer expectations and needs, the mobility ecosystem in 2050 will be much more diverse and vibrant. I think that will spawn new collaboration business models. And therefore, I'm super excited to say that if I look into my crystal ball, I see many new and very different players in the ecosystem. And I I would just summarize it as CATS, as in C-A-T-S. The C is for customers. I think corporate customers, government customers, and consumers will continue to play a big part because they are the ones who are consuming the mobility services. So they are a very important part of the ecosystem. The second one is really asset owners or new asset owners, especially those providing autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, and even the traditional bus operators will continue to still have a role. Uh, the T really stands for technology providers like SWAT. So I think companies like ourselves, uh, system integrators, software and services company will all come into the ecosystem mix uh, because things will be technology driven. And finally, the S will be services providers. I I do expect to see new players who will provide smart mobility solutions as a service offering and even traditional players transforming uh, into new services players as well. Uh, So if I look at the mobility ecosystem in 2050, I see CATS. Back to you, Surya. Awesome. And I'll be remembering CATS for a while. And Christine, I'm looking forward to the time when I can travel to Germany just from my sofa. And let's end off with a more personal question. Starting with you, Grace, what drives you to do what you do at SWAT Mobility? That's a great question, Surian. I would have to sum it up in my three Ps. Uh, the first P is really the people. I am tremendously privileged to work with a very talented team, very diverse. And the diversity actually presents a tremendous opportunity for me to learn from them as much as to share with them, you know, what I know. So people, I think is the first thing that motivates me daily. Uh, The second is being in this new generation mobility space, it's purpose. 
I think I see an opportunity in my lifetime to look at developing new services and offering with my teams so that we can enable and help people uh, to move better, to move smarter and safer. And all for the intention of better using our precious time to do things that really matter in our lives. So I do see that purpose uh, as being one that drives me every day to do the things that we do. And then last but not least is, is really passion. I have spent uh, more than 25 years in technology companies, and I still get excited about using technology to improve things. Also recently, when I see opportunities for new application and use cases with customers. So while technology can be very challenging, it is actually very fun, very exciting, and very meaningful for me. It's not surprising that the passion, purpose, and collaborating with people seem to be driving factors for the innovation in SWOT as well. Thank you for sharing that. And how about you, Christine? What drives you to do what you do at Lufthansa Innovation Hub? I mean, we're in the business of improving travel and the whole travel experience, right? And in my entire life, I've actually lived in eight countries. And so I think traveling, that, that activity has been part of my identity, actually. And only last time I, I counted how many times I've actually moved around. And I think... The number was 17. So I've, I've moved around or I've moved places 17 times. And so as you can imagine, you know, being confronted with the travel experience day to day, it, it's obviously something that I feel very passionate about, about traveling and also making that experience much more smoother, but also much more, you know, enjoyable. And the reason I like travel is, is very simple and it actually very much is reflected perhaps also in Lufthansa's mission, which is to connect people, cultures, and economies. And I think that's very powerful because I do think that traveling really enables me to learn new things, to be exposed to uh, new people, new thinking, new cultures, and actually always be at the, at the edges, right? Which I think is also something that you need if you want to innovate, you know, breaking, breaking out of routines, breaking out of norms, breaking out of the, the status quo. And I think that's really what travel does for me. And so that's why I'm, I'm really proud to be at Lufthansa Innovation Hub. I really admire that at the end of the day, you started with seeing travel from a user perspective and understanding both the value and potentially pain points and then looking at how you can improve it. Well, that's all the time we have for today's episode. I would like to thank both our guests, Christine and Grace, for their valuable insights on driving digital solutions for mobility. In the meantime, if you want to comment on this podcast, all the topics covered, you can send us an email at cpodcast at deloitte.com. That's spelled S-E-A podcast at deloitte.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episodes which are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. I'm Surya and until next time.